I'm glad y'all are here today. It's a special day, right? It's Mother's Day. It's also my dad's birthday, but my dad's in heaven, so uh, he'd be, uh, good night, what would he be? He'd be uh, 99 today if he were, if he were around, uh, but, he, but he's not, uh, well, not here. He's around, but he's not around here. Um, so, uh, but anyway, th- that happened occasionally where my dad's birthday and Mother's Day came on the same day, and I, the last time I remember I was a little kid when that happened, it seemed to be a really big deal. But then, what, what I did is I married a woman whose birthday is Friday. It's the 18th. So this is an expensive week. <laughs> My son took us out to dinner last night, and I paid for it. <laughs> so, well, he's newly married, doesn't have a great job yet, so, you know. And, uh, and then we got married a week before Christmas. So I'm just messed up all year. I'm just here. The six months in between, I've just been trying to pay the bills back. But anyway, uh, I'm, I am glad you're here. If you have a mom, would you stand up? If you have a mother, would you stand up? Eleven or dead, if you have a mother, stand up. Well, amen. That's all of us. Praise the Lord. Let's give a hand to our moms. Amen. Woo. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Y'all can sit back down. No, stand up. Stay up. Stay up. We're going to read the Bible. Sorry. Uh, that, that, was, that was fun. I appreciate y'all playing along. Um, but, uh, but yeah, our moms are important. My, my mom is important in my life. Uh, as an eight-year-old boy, I came home from Sunday school from church and, um, of course, with them. But we were in the kitchen. I can still see where I was there. And, and I, I, said, I said to her, uh, I called my Sunday school teacher, Uncle Wilbur. He lived behind our house. And I said, Mom, I don't understand why any boy, little boy in our class wouldn't get saved with Uncle Wilbur as a teacher. He was just really impactful. And uh, she looked at me and said, what about you, son? And that was the first time it entered my consciousness that I was lost in the need of a Savior. I was eight years old. I hadn't run with Hell's Angels, done a bunch of bad stuff. But I knew that at that moment that I was born a sinner and I needed somebody to save me. And uh, so I appreciate my mom for that as well as my mom started taking me to church nine months before I was born. So it, it was a, I grew up in church, and, and, and I'm grateful for my mo- mother and father, who are both godly people, and the children they raised up, my sister, and, and uh, I thank God that in any way that he can use me, he does, so that, that is a wonderful thing. Now, when I was 15, my mom had another impact in my life. She looked at me and said, when are you going to be a man, quit putting sugar and cream in your coffee, and uh, I've been drinking it black ever since she said that, so she's blessed me at least twice in my life, I've, well, three times I got here, and then... She helped lead me to the Lord in that way, and then, and, uh, and, and, and then I drink the black coffee. But uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's look at the scripture here, in verse, beginning in verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that... We, that We hear each one of us in his own native tongue, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, ah, they're just filled with new wine. In English, we'd say, they're drunk. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've put there for us to see. 
Lord, I pray that this day I might be faithful uh, to speak the words that you would have us to hear about this part of your scripture. That, uh, Lord, that obviously you can go way beyond me, and, and I pray that you do. Lord, you could speak to people's hearts about things out of that scripture that I, I can't even imagine. So, Lord, we pray that you would do something for us today we didn't put on the bulletin, and that today you would meet us in a mighty way, that we would see fresh revival come uh, to Calvary Baptist Church and to this area uh, because of what you do. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you for this day where we celebrate our mothers and their influences in our life. And I pray, God, that uh, you would uh, help us to see your word clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I, I just, as I was praying, I thought one other thing my mom did, I don't know if it interests you or not, but um, I've been ADD all my life. I didn't have that officially diagnosed till I was 40, but it was painfully obvious to everybody around me. And back when I was a kid, if they had drugs, we didn't know about it. And so I, I, as a little kid, I would sit at the kitchen table and do my homework, and my mom would stand behind me with a fly swatter. And so if my head came up from the book, pop, and <laughs> go back down. So uh, she, she helped get me into that hyper-focused mode of, of ADD joy. I feel sorry for anybody's not ADD. I really do. Y'all have such a boring life. But anyway... Um, uh, she, she helped me with that as well. Man, this part of the scripture is, is in my opinion, and this is my opinion, and, and don't take this too far because I'm just making a statement, but then I'm going to go on from that, that you could pull this part of the Bible out and it probably wouldn't affect the story. In the sense that there's nothing there that it seems when you first look at it that adds to what's about to happen. But the opposite is true. Once we pause and think of it, because I've heard so many sermons on Acts 2, the Pentecost, all that, and I always hear about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I, I've even heard sermons on, you know, poor Matthias that I picked on a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the 12th apostle. Uh, I've heard sermons on that. I've heard sermons on the first part of Acts 1 about uh, the commission that Jesus gave them. Uh, but people kind of skip over this and get to Peter's sermon and 3,000 people. Most of the times we skip over Peter's sermon, we just go to 3,000 people being saved. And, and since I go verse by verse, I'm going to go verse by verse and show you some stuff here that, that I hope God has for us. But let, let me just kind of give you the point of this. The point of this is that the gospel has to go to all nations. Now, I call this the scene is set, and that's fine. You can leave that there. The, the, the scene is set because the story is, is he's building anticipation of what's coming. Now, I'm a bottom line kind of guy. In other words, I don't, if you want to tell me details... Either I got to have a pad of paper and write it down or whatever you're going to tell me is pointless because after the third thing you say, I'm going to go out. I already said I was ADD and my wife keeps saying, quit saying that. People think you use that as an excuse. But, but I promise you after the third thing, I'm done. In another church, we decided we needed a bus. We found a, 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 somebody we knew worked in the school system. We got this bus coming up for sale. We got it cheap. We got it, man, thank God, we got a bus. But it had a governor on it, it would go about 30, 35 miles an hour. And I was downhill with a back wind. And, and, and so we had a guy who's in charge of bus. He was a mechanic kind of guy, restored cars. And he, okay, well, no problem, you just got to replace, it. it's called a pumpkin ball. I don't know what else, I don't know what the official word is, but that big round thing you see in the back of a car where the axle is, that's where the gears are. And you can change that and the car go faster, slower, it have different torque, it's, I don't understand, but that's what it does. And so, okay, well, I can fix it, no problem. Well, it turns out that it was a special year of a special bus with a special transmission, and there is no replacement parts. 
So now we got a bus you can't sell because nobody wanted because everybody but us knew that. And, and uh, so he came in, he investigates, he comes and he says, hey, I've got some solutions I want to run by you. Okay, so sit down with our, our uh, it was our youth pastor at the time. He was our first church planner, it turned out to be. But, but uh, he, he became kind of an associate pastor as well. But at that time, he's our youth pastor and we sit down. And he was kind of mechanical too. And the guy starts explaining what he's going to do. And after 30 minutes, because it would take him that long to say, pass the biscuits, he looks at me and says, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? And the youth pastor said, he shut you out after three sentences. I said, he's right. What do you think we ought to do? He said, number two, I said, do that. And I left, because that's all I care. I don't need to know how to pull it apart and what you got to put in and how. I don't care. I don't know. I don't know. You understand what you say? I don't care. So I'm a bottom line guy. But being a bottom line guy means I, I get impatient in the process. And that's not a good thing, by the way. This, this has some downfalls to it as well. And, and so that, that methodical process, I really need somebody to help me step through things because I just want to race to the end. I don't want to take the time. I hate riding in a car. By the way, if you drive cross country, you get to Kansas, you've seen the last thing you're going to see for eight hours. <laughs> it's just wheat fields and they're flat. And I mean, it's beautiful, don't get me wrong. And I love anybody from Kansas, I love you, love your state. But I'm just telling you, it's monotonous. It's not going anywhere. I love, love living in this area because the mountains change every day. Now, you know, it's just seasonal and everything else is just gorgeous and, and we love it. But, but uh, you know what a lava lamp is from the 70s? When you're ADD, that's therapy, okay? I'm just telling you, because it's always changing. It's really cool. I used to keep a fish tank in my office just so I have something to kind of go, ooh, that's good, thank you. So, so what God is doing here is he's trying to show us some stuff before the hammer falls, before that, that thing hits. He's trying to get us to understand what we're about to see happen. And so I want you to hang in there because this is what I want you to take home. The Spirit is given to bring the gospel to all the nations. And that's what he's trying to show us. That this is not just a one-off event. This is not just something that happens. That in the, buried in this text is the, is the understanding and idea that the gospel is not for one group of people. It's for everybody in the world. Amen? Now, I know we say that out loud. You know, we say amen. But when somebody's different from us, we look at them as non-human sometimes even in the extreme measures. We call that prejudice, bigotry, whatever you want to call it. But, but we don't really see that, that there is no group of people in God's eyes that's better than another group of people. We're different sometimes, but that's cultural. It's not f- even physiological really as much. It's just God wants every person to come to know him. And guess who he gave the job of telling every person? Us. And it's kind of hard to do that if you don't like people. <laughs> right? Man, it, it, well, never mind, I won't tell you that. But, so I, I want you to see this. I, I kind of just wanted to set this up that in the first four verses which we covered, we looked at chapter 1, we saw there's a new apostle, and by the way, on the day of Pentecost, Matthias is filled with the Spirit, he spoke. So, you know, God accepted him, that was great. We see the coming of the Holy Spirit, the power that lives in us to give us the, the, the power to accomplish the task God has for us. And we come down to, to, to verse 5, and, and I just call this the harvest begins, because notice what it says. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And right there I stop and say, in case you are here today because your mom invited you and she talked you into it and you don't usually go to church because you think I'm a joke and church is a joke and God's not real and God's not true. If you want to argue with me that there's an error in the Bible, that's the verse. Right there. Every nation under heaven. Well, then he names them later on and obviously there's nobody there from North America. There's nobody there from South America or Mexico. Probably, probably nobody from Russia, could have been, or the Russia area. So why would he say that? Well, a couple of, two or three things I would say. Number one, North America, South America, and Mexico were not nations then. They were land masses with tribes of people on them. Right? Okay, that's one thing. Number two, it's every nation they knew of. And it's every nation of the Jewish dispersion that started in, 18, in 518, 586 B.C. When, when, uh, when it, Israel was conquered and the northern kingdom got dispersed throughout all the world. Uh, Jeremiah saw that happening. Daniel, 70 years later, was a kid from that happening. And he began, and we, see, we can read their, their stories there. So it's every nation that Jews were dispersed in, and God did that intentionally so it would be religious people in place so when the gospel came, there were people that would understand it to tell everybody else. you got to understand that. And by the way, you can't go into a culture today that we... You could drop us into Irinjaya, Papua New Guinea, some, some uh, jungle in South America in the Amazon, and, and any people group you find will have an echo of the Old Testament in it, in their culture. There'll be something there that identifies back to the scripture. Because we all came from one person, one source. How did they all get there? I got my ideas, but I don't know for sure. I can't wait to watch that movie in heaven. I, stuff I don't get, I just go, hey, can we watch that movie tonight? Sure. And click it and we get to watch creation and all that. It's going to be cool, right? Y'all think I'm crazy, don't you? I think we're going to get to watch movies of stuff that happened. Is that impossible? We can take pictures and make it... Re God can certainly do that, can he? Of course. Man, y'all think we just float around on clouds? And... No, man, we're going to be living life in heaven. A lot of it's going to be worship, and obviously, but we're going to be living. But anyway, so, but here's the, here's, the, here's the thing I really want you to get. That word nations is a word that has two uses. Nations, thinking of a geopolitical entity, is one. The other is people group. It's where we get the word ethnic. It's ethos. It is people. And what the Bible is letting us know is not only these people, but every nation in the world is going to hear this message. That's what God's showing us here. God is using hyperbole to get us to understand that this isn't for just these people. Because in that verse embedded is that word devout men. And that word devout is only used in the New Testament, that particular word, for Jewish people. It's never even used for Gentile people. So what he's saying is that these are Jewish people from every nation, but God is going to go to every people group. In fact, the Bible promises us this, that that, the, that Jesus will not return until every people group has heard the gospel. And there's over 160 of them still hadn't heard. Is that right, Justin? You were up on the statistics. I mean, so over, I think it's over 160. Oh, there's Pastor Cream. It's a bunch of people groups, places maybe we haven't been yet, can't get to, some we know about that have not yet had the opportunity to hear the gospel. 
By the way, Billy Graham has preached to the whole world at one time. Happened in the 80s by satellite. He realized the technology was there that he could preach to the entire world at one time. And they did. And at one time, he preached. And, and if you had the receptors, you could get it. And the Bible tells us in the, that during that, uh, t- the end time of tribulation, that, that there'll be two men that preach to the whole world. And people used to wonder how that was going to work. And now we know. We've got satellites galore, and we can preach to the whole world at one time. So, what God is trying to get us to see is that all the nations of the world will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And that, that's the good news. The bad news is he's trusting us to do it. Do you understand that? That God has given you, if you're a member of this church or any church, God has given you the commission, the job of preaching the gospel to all nations. My brother-in-law was uh, becoming a truck driver a couple of years ago, or going back into truck driving, and he went to, a, to their orientation school, all this stuff he had to do. And there was a guy there that at the end, just before they graduated, failed the drug test. And my wife said, he only had one thing he had to not do. And that was not take a drug. But he could not do it. Well, you turn that around, there's one thing God told us to do. Take the gospel to every creature. And when we stand before him, he's going to say, how were you involved in that and what did you do about it? That's it. And he's not going to say, well done, because you showed up to the building and sat in a pew. He's just not. He's going to say, well done, if you were involved in that which he wanted to do. Uh, There's something else I want you to see there in in verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So all these people are in Jerusalem, and he's going to list them out later. And I've said it once, all those nations, and I didn't mispronounce any of them. And so I'm not going to try it again. But, But they all showed up because they heard the noise. Now... Some would question which noise did they hear? Did they hear the people speaking or did they hear the great sound? But it says, at this sound they came together and then they heard them speaking. So I assume, and what, how I would interpret that, is that when the Holy Spirit came, everybody could hear it. They heard a freight train and they'd never seen a freight train. And they're like, what was that? And they come rushing out. But now that poses a question that is embedded in the text but is not obvious in the text. I don't know if 120 people were speaking in tongues and prophesying or just the 12. I tend to think all of them were because the Spirit came upon the church, not upon the, uh, not upon the leaders of the church. He came, he, you got as much Holy Spirit as I got. You, you understand that, right? People want the preacher to pray. I got no special in, inroads to God. <laughs> before I knew Janice and years before... I was actually engaged to another girl, and she was from New Orleans, and they had a place in Homa, Louisiana, on the bayou. So we go out down there with her dad, and he takes us out in the middle of the Gulf. We caught 200 trout in two days. It was amazing. I loved it. But we're out there in the middle of nowhere, and we look up, and in the Gulf, you just see storms coming, and there's huge storms coming. So we race to an oil derrick. He ties the boat off. We climb the ladder. We're standing on the top of this oil derrick. And we're watching this massive storm coming. And he, and he looks at me because he was lost as a goat, man. 
And he looks at me and he says, son, if you got any pull with the lightning maker, I'd use it right now. So I silently said, Lord, if you just want to show him something, do it. And I promise you that storm broke in half and went around us like that. Because he was joking. And when that happened, he went, you do have pull with the lightning maker. <laughs> but the fact is, if you're saved, you got the same right to stand before God as I do in prayer. Right? But here's my question. Sorry, that was a little fat rabbit. I just wanted to, you to get a hold of. Where were the disciples when this happened? Ge- geographically, where were they standing? It, it's a simple word I want you to get. It's not a trick question. Just think about it. If the crowd came and the crowd hears them talking, where were they? Outside. That's the word I'm looking for. They were outside. You see, the Holy Spirit fell when they were in the upper room. Now, if, if they would have been any religious group under heaven that cares about what God does... If God sent revival to this auditorium in this moment, there would be a lot of us that would want to just stand in here and pray and preach and sing and jump and holler and carry on and enjoy it. They went outside and began to witness. God did not call us to stay indoors. He called us to go out, right? He called us to leave this safety. Jesus said, no man lights, says you're, you're, you're a light on a hill and nobody lights a light on a hill and then puts it under a bushel basket. So we come to the top of a hill and we build a big old bushel basket. I mean, it's fancier, it's, it costs more than a regular one. But we build a big old fancy bushel basket and we let our light shine in here, but we don't do much when we leave. This isn't church. This is the encouraging worship together of the church to God so that he can encourage and equip us. We do church when we leave. We become the church when we go out of these walls to those who need to hear the gospel. That is inherent in what he's saying here. Like I said, just a quick reading. Oh, well, yeah, there were people there. That's great. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And go on. Let's hear what Peter had to say and 3,000 people get saved. But God's trying to set us up to understand something big's about to happen. And this big thing isn't just for you. This big thing is for you to leave out of here and tell the world that Jesus died for their sin. That he was buried and he rose again from the dead, proving to be the Son of God. According to Romans 1. The reason for the resurrection besides the fact that he was, uh, that it had to be for our salvation. But the reason that he rose from the dead in such an obvious public way. Most provable fact of history. Is because he had to prove that everything he said was true. You see if Jesus did not come back from the dead. Everything he said would be a lie. If you want to pull, unravel Christianity and just. Say, there is no hope for man, unravel the resurrection. And everybody who's ever tried has either failed or become a Christian themselves. Because there's more evidence for that than any other fact in history. Period. And they come out and they're preaching. And and here's the, the wild thing that we see in here. And they were amazed, verse 7, and astonished. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it each here... Each of us, that we hear each of us in his own native tongue. In other words, as those men spoke, 
each man was hearing in his heart language, the language he grew up with. The language he spoke when he was at home with his family. Oh, you didn't know what I just said? I said, did all you white people ever hear about Gullah? That's the language I grew up with. I, 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 I was in Charleston. A lady was making a sweet grass basket. And I was with some people who knew I was from Charleston. And the lady by me punched me and said, say something to her. So what do you mean? She said, you know, say something. So I just looked at her and I said what I just said. I said, which meant this white woman's never heard about Gullah. And the lady just busted out laughing. And she's going, what did you say? What did you say? I said, I just said you're a white woman never heard about Gullah before. And so the lady started talking to me. And she was a registered nurse. And she, you know, she was pretending not, not to know much, but she knew a lot. She had, she, and she told me that she had paid for her son's education. He's a lawyer living in Atlanta. And she said, my son was home the other day. And he started fussing about something. And he started fussing in Gullah. And I said, I spent all that money for your education, you to become a lawyer, and all you can speak is gully. So when I'm mad, that's the only way I can talk. These people came out and started preaching, and what the people heard spoke to their heart. Because it was their heart language. It was the language they grew up with, the language they knew better than any. I mean, Kareem's right here, and he speaks Arabic and English. Arabic more than English, but he speaks both. So if I spoke and he heard it in Arabic, he would say, whoa, I really understood that because it would be in his language. Here's our point. We go out and talk to people who are lost. They're pagans. They don't know God or Jesus in any personal way. And we talk to them as if they're in church. Brother, you ever seen the light? Have you ever let Jesus save your soul? You need to come church at the sawdust trail. Come down and get born again. He's going, what? Huh? What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense to somebody who never heard that language. You need to talk to people in a way they can understand. So I thought, Holy Spirit, do that. Give me a tongue, talk in their language. Yeah, but we all speak English. So just don't use the vocabulary of the church when you're talking to a lost person. Help them understand in a way they understand. One of the greatest things that my wife and I were ever told as we were getting married in marriage counseling is learn to love the other one in a way they understand. Man, that, that, that was 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. That really set something in my heart. I was, okay. Now, let me just tell you, married couples, ladies, get that quickly. Men, not so much. You know, we'll buy our wives pots and pans for Mother's Day or their birthday. My wife, God bless her, she, because she's not like me, she'll just tell you what she, you know, what, the way it is for her. She told me early on, don't ever buy me something not personal for that. And then one Christmas, she said, all I want is cookware. I said, okay, great. I, said, I can handle cookware. So I bought cookware for her. But, you know, usually it's got to be something romantic and meaningful and all that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> right over my head. I don't know. I don't get it. Is this romantic? No. Okay, what about this? Okay, yeah. I don't get it because it's hard for us. And the same thing, if you're like me and grew up going to church, going to church nine months before you were born, sometimes it's hard to speak in their language. But guess what? You know, Justin over there, he's going to Africa, hopefully early next year. And he's not going to go over there and teach them English. He's going to go over there and learn how to speak in a way they can understand. Right? We teach that to missionaries, but we don't practice it in North America. You work with people who do not know the language of the kingdom. 
And so you've got to break it down a different way for them. Y'all looking at me real funny. You understand? That's why I love people that just got saved. Because they know how to talk to their friends. They, they just know how to say it in a way that other people understand. These people were amazed at what God was doing. And, and here's part of their amazement. If you, if, if you look in here, um, at the end of verse 11, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What those apostles and those people went out talking is they were not talking about their experience with God and the Holy Spirit. They were talking about who God is and how great He is and what God has done. That God in eternity past created a world that went immediately into rebellion against Him. And instead of condemning us all to hell, came Himself in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And he became fully human. And he went to a cross, sinless, deserving nothing but glory. He took the sin of the world on himself and nailed it to a cross, was buried. And on the third day, he got up, proving to be the Son of God, so that you and I could know God and be saved. And that was their message, and everybody heard it in a way they could understand it. And so we've got to do that for people. We've got to help them understand. Stan, it was an amazing thing, amazing works. And the last thing I want you to understand out of this text in the last couple of verses there. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, oh, they're just drunk. It says they're filled with new wine, but that's what it means in our modern vernacular. You see, we just did a, a, a teaching on how to, how to share your faith. It's called the three circles. I'll say something more about that in just a second. But, but one of our members has taken that and he has used it dozens of times. We just finished class last week. He has spoken to dozens of people about the Lord using that, that method. It's a conversational way to do it. It takes out some of those church words and, and explains it in, in plain language. And that, that's wonderful. But here's what we learned in that class the response to the gospel, the good news, the, the story that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for us. The responses have never changed since Jesus died. It's three of them. Red light, yellow light, green light. That's, that's how we illustrate it. After, after this morning's service, a lady came up and said her grandchild, who's five, said, no, there's four lights at the, at the traffic signal. Red, yellow, green, and blue if you don't obey the traffic signal. I thought that was pretty good, so four lights, but we're, we're going to stick with the three. Red light means I don't care, I'm not interested, that's either just drunk. There's the yellow light, which means speed up because it's about to change, right? No. It means slow down, get cautious. It's, people are cautious and say, oh, that's interesting. And these people are going, what does that mean? The green light is going to come at the end of Peter's sermon. Because right now they haven't even heard the gospel, but they're already interested. Let me ask you, do you live your life such a way people go, what in the world is going on with that dude? When you have tragedy, when you have heartbreak, when you have hurt, or if you have success in your life, and they see the heartbreak not destroy you, they see the success not mess you up, but you just stay the same person. And they go, how do you handle that? And you say one word, Jesus. Because I don't live for myself. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live for Jesus. We live for his glory. We live 
for him. And these people said, we hear them speaking of the mighty works of God. What an awesome, awesome thing. By the way, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you say, well, I'm going to wait a while. That's the same as saying no. My daddy taught me something when I was a little boy. Yesterday's gone, I can't get it back. And tomorrow is not promised to me. Today's the only day I got. And I'm speaking about being here. Because I got tomorrow. I know where I'm going to be tomorrow. If I died right now, I know where I'll be tomorrow. I've got a tomorrow coming. But it may not be here where I can effectively tell somebody else about Jesus. Or you might be here saying, well, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person, but I don't like organized religion. So I'm assuming you like disorganized religion. Isn't that the opposite? You say, oh, I'm spiritual. I believe in God. The book of James says, you say you believe in God, you've done well. The demons believe and tremble. So if you believe in God, you've done as well as Satan. He believes in God too. It is not doing him any good. Belief in God is not enough. What you have to do is trust God to take away your sin in Jesus Christ. And what he did on the cross. Get that? You understand? You don't have to agree with me, but do you at least understand? Yes? Good. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you're gonna, if you're gonna know God, you can't, oh, I'm just spiritual. I'm, ah, oh, stupid. It just is. We are spiritual beings living in a physical world. If, and we need a spiritual reality, and the spiritual reality is only found in Christ. I mean, Satan's real, but I, I don't want to hang out with him. And so you've got to come to a place where you say, you know what, I need a Savior. Just like I did as an eight-year-old boy. I need a Savior. Because it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, we all need a Savior. None of us are better than the other. None of us are greater than the other. We all need that Savior. And so I want you to understand that we are now living in the last days. Now, I know you've heard people say that, and maybe it was a preacher who's like, Brother Jesus could come back at any moment. And that's true, he might could. I, I, I mean, I don't know when he's coming back. He, he didn't tell me. And he actually said in Acts 1 that he, even he didn't know, only the Father knows, and the Father's going to tell him one day, go. Okay, yes, sir, when he's going to take off. As far as we know, he probably knows now, I don't know, but while he was in his flesh on earth, he's still in his flesh in heaven. But while he was here, he didn't know. Even at the day of ascension, he didn't know when he was coming back. But he said it'll be soon. You said, man, it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, well, the Bible says a day is like 1,000 years, 1,000 years is like a day to God. So he's been gone over the weekend so far. (laughs) Just been a couple of days. He could be back today. This might be the Monday, and he's coming back to work. I don't know, but he is coming back. But that's what I want you to get. Nothing, there's nothing in the Bible that says God has one more thing to do. In other words, if, if, if you study the, the entire arc of Scripture, you see that God was revealing that he was going to do a mighty thing and he was going to send that Messiah named Jesus. And somehow the people that should have understand, understood that missed it as a group. There are individuals in that group that, that did get it. But as a group, they missed it. They missed their own Messiah And Jesus is that Messiah. He did come. But now the Bible doesn't say now he's planning on doing something else. This is the last thing. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Which are 2,000 good reasons that it's getting closer and closer, right? 
It could be at any moment. Maybe you've ever been taking a test in school and you got hung up on one, you're trying to finish, and you're thinking, what time is it? What time is it? I gotta hurry, gotta hurry, hoping you're gonna get there before they go, time's up. Some of you are living your life like that. Listen, now's the accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. Right now, you need to turn to Jesus and say, I need a Savior. And I believe and understand that you're Him. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my life and I want to live your life. Please give your life to me. Because once we're saved, the only reason God leaves us here is to conform us to the image of Christ. What God is all about is us knowing Him and becoming like Him. And so when I say that we are to take this gospel to all the nations, that word gospel to define it, I defined it what it means for salvation. But included in the gospel is that once I know Christ, I don't stay the way I was. I become like he is. First John chapter 3. That as he is, so are we in this world. Just as Jesus is, we are now. And he's making his image come to reality in our lives and so that we look like Jesus here so what can you do this week well first of all do what Jesus would do minister to somebody love on them love your neighbor as yourself love the person you work with love your neighbor love your husband or wife in a different way but first of all love your family love those closest to you it's what moms do isn't it they love their families So minister to somebody this week in the name of Jesus, whether they become your friend or not, whether they want it or not. Just do something nice for them. Then secondly, share the gospel with one person this week. I I, I mentioned the training we just took. Everybody get out your smartphone. If you got a smartphone, if you don't have a smartphone, you don't even have a clue what I'm about to say. Or you might have a clue, but it ain't going to happen. You can go to your app store. It's free. Trust me, it's free. And go to your search engine in your app store and type in the numeral three space and the word circles. Three circles. And when you do that, you will get something that says, sorry, I misspelled it. Life conversation guide. And it's got three circles. You can, you can download that for free and open it and this is what you get. And this is a way to tell people about Christ. And everything you need is in there. And here's what it says, that God had a perfect plan and a perfect design. And when he created the universe, he made it perfect, to run perfectly, with perfect people in it. But we decided to sin, and it led us to another circle that is brokenness. And because of our sin, we are now broken. And that brokenness shows itself in shame and guilt, maybe addictions, other things. Other things we reach out to that leave us empty. The answer to our brokenness is the gospel. Because we were broken, God himself came to earth. And he lived perfectly, but he took my sin on him and he took it to a cross. And he died there in my place on that cross. He was buried, but on the third day he rose again. So he has the power to enforce what he did. But it's not automatic between brokenness and the gospel. The way that you go from brokenness to the gospel is to repent and believe. You turn away from your sin. That's what the word repent means. To change your mind, to change your ways. And you turn to Christ. And you believe that Jesus will save you if you ask him. Because it's that simple. You can just talk to him and ask him to save you. And then as God saves you, 
then you have recover from your brokenness and you begin to pursue God in a great way. I don't know where you find yourself in that circle. But if you would say brokenness, you need to repent and believe the gospel. Now you've got a way to share your faith on your phone and everything I said is in that app if you downloaded it. And I would encourage you to do that. As I said, a member of our church has shared that dozens of times with people he runs into. It took me about two minutes just now to do that. It doesn't take a long time to share. And that's in a way people can understand. Because anybody in here never had a problem? Oh, okay. Good. No liars today, thank God. Yeah, we need somebody to help us, don't we? So share that with somebody this week. And then thirdly, just realize you're living in the last days. It's time to get going. Because we don't know... Our time is short. We don't know what we got tomorrow. Let me finish with a story on Mother's Day about a mother that I knew. I, I, I may have shared this before where you heard it, but I want to share it today because it's Mother's Day. There's a lady in the first church I was ever pastor of, and her husband was not saved. None of her children were saved. She had three boys and a daughter. And through the time I spent there, one of her sons got saved, and her daughter got saved, and another son got saved. And then her husband got saved. By being saved, in case you don't know, means they accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord. And began to change and live a brand new life. And they were very close to me. And then the father, after he came to know Christ, he only lived about a year or two after that and he passed away. And so we were having the funeral in the church and the, and the casket is down there. And everybody's crying. We all loved him so much that uh, Virgil was his name. Virgil come to know the Lord. We were so we were broken, we loved him, and it was painful. But his baby son had never agreed that Jesus was the Savior and accepted him as such. And, and his son, that youngest son, was a huge man, like 6'3 or 4 and 300 and change. I don't know, he, he was big, and I don't mean big in an unhealthy way, I mean big. And he's leaning over that casket, weeping and shaking, he's so broken. And I watched that mom walk up and put her hand on his back and say, Son, all of us are sad your dad is dead. But all of us are going to see him again. Except you. And if you don't let Jesus become your Savior and Lord, you will never see your father again. Now that's what you call love. That a mother in the midst of losing her husband and being in grief, knows that the most important thing is that that baby son come to know the Savior that she knows and her husband knew and her other children knew. I don't know where you are this morning, but let me just tell you, there's nothing more important that you will ever do in this life than surrender to Jesus. That is the greatest thing you can do. Just say, I give up. (laughs) I just make a mess of it. Fix me. Save me. Take my sin. Thank you for doing that. Help me to be like you. Change my life. And Jesus will do it. I know because he did it for me and I've seen him do it for hundreds of others.